Good morning, and welcome to New Hope Assembly of God's online service. Uh, we're very grateful that you're able to join us here today. Uh, we pray that uh, this is a blessing to you, that uh, you're able to, to take the Word of God and just apply it to your life right away, uh, you know, through this uh, sermon series that we've been going through, entitled Bless This Home. Um, I have a few announcements to make. Our leadership met on Thursday evening, and um, in light of uh, what was just released yesterday uh, by Governor Wolf, you know, it was a bit of a surprise to, to me personally, I know, um, that Armstrong County is still in the red zone, uh, not yet in the yellow, and certainly no counties are in the green in Pennsylvania yet. Um, and until that happens, you know, we're not going to be able to uh, meet in person for our services. Uh, you know, one of the things that we discussed is when we uh, are able to join back together again, um, you know, we really want to do so whenever we're able to just be the church. You know, uh, when our elders met, you know, we kept our social distancing through the sanctuary and everything. But man, it just, it, it killed us to not be able to just go up and give them a big old hug, you know, or shake their hand and, uh, you know, because they're so eager to see each other. And when you're able to do that again, it just didn't feel right. It felt so wrong, you know, and so we want to wait until we're able to just come together and to be the church again. Um, uh, right now, as it stands, Armstrong County is still under stay-at-home orders um, beyond May 8th, so we wouldn't be able to meet anyways. Uh, and then once we're in the yellow zone, um, unfortunately, one of the stipulations of that is that uh, gatherings of 25 people or more are prohibited. And uh, even at our lowest attendance, we were well beyond 25 people. So uh, just stay tuned. Uh, you know, Just know that our heart is to get us back to normal again. Our desire is to uh, meet in person once again as soon as it's safely uh, possible to do so and uh, so we'll definitely let you know as soon as that happens I mean I'll probably be out here dancing and uh, celebrating you know giving that announcement because I can't wait for it cannot wait for it um, so you know regardless of how you feel about Governor Wolf's decisions I know I have some strong feelings myself about it but we're gonna do as God's Word calls us to you know we're gonna submit to the, the authorities that are over us um, they were ordained by God um, and so as long as they don't come in contradiction with God's authority, uh, we're going to submit to those, follow those. And uh, as a result, you know, we will be blessed by God uh, for doing that. And so uh, last week in this message series, Bless This Home, uh, we learned from Hebrews chapter 12 how to deal with um, interpersonal conflict. Uh, conflicts that arise just because you're you and I'm me and we're different. Um, we learned how conflict is actually created by God and how God's intent of conflict is that uh, we would come to a better understanding of each other and actually uh, grow closer together through that conflict. And that's what happens if we uh, deal with it in a healthy way. Of course, we learned about uh, throwing out that bowl of soup, right? That if we exchange the, uh, the blessings of God for that bowl of soup, that we can handle conflict in an unhealthy way. And when we deal with conflict in an unhealthy way, and one of the unhealthy ways is just not dealing with it at all, um, it, you know, it ends up dividing our relationships, causing strife and awkwardness and all those things that we don't want. Um, and as many of us shared last week, you know, it's, it's hard to think about conflict that way, that God designed conflict, that it's a good thing, that it's a healthy thing, because most of us don't like conflict. It's awkward, it's uncomfortable when I have to talk to somebody, you know, about, um, you know, how I don't really agree with them and I'm just trying to understand them and see where they're coming from. Um, you know, we don't like to deal with that, but um, if we learn to deal with it in a healthy way, 
we won't feel that way about conflict anymore. When conflict arises, we'll just see it as an opportunity to get to know that better person better, to get to know ourselves better, and for us to personally grow and mature, to be better people, to build our character. Um, so, you know, prayerfully, that's the, the goal, and believe me, I'm a still far away from that. Um, I still haven't reached that level uh, where conflict arises and I just consider it joy, you know, that, that I get to grow myself personally and get to know someone better. Um, but uh, that's God's intent and that's his design of conflict. And so we're going to be uh, continuing uh, this week dealing with another type of conflict that rises up. Um, because the reality is not all conflict is good and not all conflict is God-ordained or God-purposed. Some conflict was never intended to happen by God. And that conflict is what happens as a result of somebody wronging us, the result of somebody sinning against us. And now to be clear, uh, we kind of want to, um, as we're going into this, define up front what we mean by that. Um, you know, some people say that it's a, a sin to look that good. <laughs> That's not the kind of sin we're talking about. Some people say that it's a sin that you can't get your uh, hair and nails did right now. You know, um, no, that's not it. Uh, you know, we, we call a lot of things sin. Now, wearing white after Labor Day, I think it is. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fashion person, but I, I hear that, you know, that's it. Um, some people feel sinned against and wronged if you call them around dinner time, right? Um, oh, you know, speaking of which, just, just hold on a second here. Um, got a, a call coming in myself. Um, well, let's see. Oh, yeah. Um... Hello? Yeah, I'm actually uh, recording a, a video for the, the church on Sunday right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no problem. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's no way you could have known that, you know, I was doing that right now. It's all right. Is it all right if I uh, call you back here in about an hour? All right. Hey, catch you later then. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm bye. Some people say that it's a sin to use old technology, you know, stuff where you still have to... Oh, some people are going to love this sound. Oh, yeah. This is the phone I used growing up, believe it or not. Uh, when Becky and I were dating, I would use this very phone using calling cards. Like that's like spinning this thing about 30 times, you know, just to call her because after all, long distance wasn't cheap um, in those days. Some people would say it's a sin to still be using old technology. And of course, none of those things are what we're referring to. When we're talking about somebody wronging you, someone sinning against you, we're going to the Bible as our definition. And that means something like, you know, somebody lied to you, somebody stole from you, um, you know, somebody um, uh, didn't practice integrity. They said they'd do something and they backed out without even telling you. Um, you know, they stood you up. Um, we're talking about things like that, like serious sin. Somebody's gossiping about you, spreading lies about you. Um, we're talking about black and white, biblically defined sin. Not offenses, not, you know, because that goes back to last week. You're being you and I'm being me and I'm offended by that. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't understand where you're coming from. This week, the context of conflict we're talking about is when someone sins against you. Because it's going to happen. We are different people, come from different backgrounds. Um, you know, uh, not all of us are Christians. Let's just say it that way. Not all of us are spirit-filled believers. And so people are going to act in the flesh. Believe it or not, spirit-filled believers from time to time. We act in the flesh and we sin against people. Even our brothers and sisters in Christ, we do them wrong. We sin against them. We, uh, you know, we do all these things that God's word tells us not to do. 
Or as James reminds us, it's just as much sin. We don't do the things for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're supposed to do. We don't do the things for our unsaved neighbors that we're called to do. We sin against them. It's sin. Uh, that's what we're dealing with this week. Um, so th with all that being said, how do we respond when conflict occurs and it's because somebody sinned against us, because we've been wronged. How do we respond? I mean, how can we follow Hebrews 12 and not allow a root of bitterness to grow up in our lives as a result? It's really easy to let bitterness grow when somebody sins against us that way, especially somebody in our household that we love and care about. Um, how can we guard our hearts so they don't get hardened towards people when we've been cut deep? How, how do we begin to heal whenever we've been so wronged and, and, and done so wrongly by somebody? How does that happen? First and foremost, um, we're going to turn to a place that none of us wants to turn. But if we allow ourselves to handle conflict, even when people sins against us, the way that God's word calls us to, we're going to get beyond that conflict in a healthy way. Our hearts will be able to heal. Our hearts will stay soft towards people. We will still be able to love people and be compassionate about people, even people who have done us wrong. If we respond when people sin against us in this way, then God will be able to bless this home. Okay, so first and foremost, the first thing that we must do when someone sins against us is that Christian F word. It's the one that, that, that goes against everything that we are, and that is to forgive. This one's not optional. This is the very first step that we have to do. We've got to forgive that person. Um, now, as I mentioned, this, this step goes against everything that your flesh is telling you to do. I mean, you've been hurt, and, and your flesh is telling you to hurt them back. You want them to feel the pain that you're feeling. You know, you've been stolen from and you just want to destroy them. You want to take back what's been stolen and tenfold, right? We want to do that to people. Um, you know, you've been violated and man, you just want to expose their darkness to the whole world. You want everyone to see that nasty person that they are and what they're capable of doing, that monster that they are that no one else sees. You know, our, our flesh says retaliate. Vengeance is yours. Of course, the Holy Spirit says, forgive, vengeance is the Lord's. Um, you know, perhaps the reason that we're so resistant to forgive is because we don't really understand what forgiveness truly is, how God defines forgiveness. Because forgiveness is, um, isn't saying that what was done was okay. Forgiveness isn't sweeping it under the rug and pretending like nothing happened, you know, just to keep some fleshly level of peace. Um, and that's not what forgiveness is at all. Forgiveness is actually begins with fully admitting that what was done was wrong, should have never happened. That person should have never done that against me. And, and also on the same, uh, you know, in, in the same regard, we should have never done that to the other person, right? You know, it was wrong. It's fully admitting what was done was wrong and it shouldn't have happened. Um, However, we learned last week that, that my response is my responsibility, right? I'm responsible for me. I can't control what other people are going to do to me. There's nothing I can do to stop people from sinning against me. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And there's nothing I can do to prevent it. Um, we're going to talk 
a little later about things we can do to kind of minimize that um, ability, but you can't fully stop it. People are people. If they want to break into your house and steal your stuff, they're going to do it. Even if you've got four, you know, uh, deadbolts on your door, they're going to find a way through the window. I mean, you know, when people are, are bent to sin against you, then they're going to do it. They're going to find ways to uh, do it, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. The reality is forgiveness is far less about that other person. In fact, it has very little to do with that other person aside from what they've done to you. Forgiveness primarily has to do with me, with my life, with my heart. Forgiveness is a personal issue, not an interpersonal issue. The need to forgive is you know, is caused by interpersonal relationships. But forgiveness itself is an interpersonal thing. It isn't, you know, just me. It's a personal thing. Um, forgiveness is confessing and admitting the wrong that was done, but then it's choosing not to retaliate in response. Forgiveness is all about how I'm going to choose to respond to the wrong that was done to me. Forgiveness is choosing not to retaliate, not to return wrongdoing with more wrongdoing. When someone sins against you, you're not in a state of sin. You're the victim. You're not guilty of anything. But if you choose to return wrong for wrong, now all of a sudden you're in a state of sin. You're sinning against that person. And we all know that saying, two wrongs don't make a right. And that is true in the kingdom of God as well. Two wrongs do not make a right. It just multiplies wrongdoing. And that's what sin does. Sin multiplies sin. Stop the cycle. Be the bigger person. Be God in that situation. Because being wronged, it doesn't give us a pass to just act wrongly in response. Now, as a preface here, it is possible to forgive someone who wrongs us and to still allow natural consequences um, to take place. You know, some people believe that for me to forgive them, it means that, um, you know, that uh, if, if it's serious enough of a sin that the police are involved in investigating it, that I'm going to choose not to press charges. That may be the case. That may be what God's calling you to do. I mean, after all, look at what he's forgiven us of and uh, what his forgiveness means that uh, we're, we're not going to hell. Um, but you can forgive somebody and still allow natural consequences to play out. Um, you know, it, you can. Think about that. When Jesus forgives you for your sin, um, the natural consequences aren't necessarily removed. You know, if I went online and gambled and I lost a, a lot of my family's money, um, Jesus may forgive me for doing that, but the money didn't show back up in my account, did it? <laughs> No, the natural consequences, it's not the wrath of God, it's not the, um, the uh, you know, the, the act of God to bring down vengeance in your life. Um, those natural consequences of sin are there to teach us and to guide us. They lead us to repentance, meaning that we, it leads us to not do it again, to stay away from that sin and not to repeat it. It's a good, healthy thing that consequences remain in place even when forgiveness has been extended. Um, However, what we have to do is we have to check our hearts. We have to check our motive. Are we continuing to press charges as an act of vengeance against that person and not with a heart motive of, of helping them to learn the seriousness of what was done? Then we shouldn't do it. If your heart motive is vengeance, then it's wrong. It's sin for you. You're, you're responding to wrongdoing with more wrongdoing, and that's not right. That's not forgiveness. 
you know, if the natural consequences are um, a form of um, of vengeance or retaliation, and not with a heart motive of just the good for everyone that's involved, then um, that's not forgiveness. Then uh, then you shouldn't do it. Um, you know, consider this. Sometimes it requires some pretty serious pain before we stay away from that sin again. Sometimes I gotta feel the heat of the stove before I choose not to touch it again. I mean, we're just boneheaded, thick-skinned, fleshy people. And sometimes just knowing God's word that it's wrong to do is not enough for us. We have to taste and see why God said, that's sin for you. You gotta stay away from it, you can't do it. Right? Sometimes that's, we learn the hard way. It's not the way God wants us to, but sometimes we have to learn the hard way. Natural consequences can be a, a teaching tool that God uses to lead us to repentance. Not a vengeful wrath, not a, you know, not punishing us. It's not a form of punishment. It's just a form of, uh, of leading us to repentance and teaching us to stay away from that thing and why God says that it's sin for us. So, all that being said, Forgiveness is also not an emotional response. It is a, a willful act. In fact, when you choose to forgive somebody, your emotions usually don't change right away. Sometimes the miraculous happens and they do. You feel weight lifted. You don't feel, you know, wronged by that person anymore. But more often than not, when I choose willfully to forgive somebody for what they've done to me, my emotions remain. Um, over time, however, if we forgive, God will be able to heal our hearts. He'll be able to heal those wounds and those emotions will begin to fade away as well. Um, you know, I've heard it likened uh, before to a church bell. Forgiveness is like that old school church bell where you pull the rope and the bell rings. You know, when you first choose to forgive, to let go of that rope, that bell's still ringing. You still feel the pain and the hurt from that person. But the only way for that bell to stop ringing, for those emotions to cool down to where you don't feel that way anymore and that you're healing that hurt is if you let go of that rope. And that's what forgiveness is. Man, if, you, if every time you think about that, um, that hurt that somebody inflicted in you and you go over and you pull that rope again, you just allowed that wound to reopen. It can't heal that way. You're just allowing, it's, it's like somebody sinned against you, but choosing not to forgive is sinning against yourself. It's you taking that knife that they stabbed you with and stabbing yourself all over again. Just you to yourself, stabbing yourself. Forgiveness is about letting go of that knife. Forgiveness is actually about um, stopping that person from hurting you. In your own personal life, you have control over that. You can stop the hurt. You can stop the wound. You can stop the emotions by choosing to forgive and to let it go. It's like letting go of that rope on the church bell. The emotions are still there, but they're going to stop over time. They're going to go away. Things are going to go back to some sort of a new normal, right? That's what forgiveness is, and we must do it. Uh, forgiveness enables us to stop the pain and to begin the healing process in our own lives after somebody sins against us. Um, unforgiveness has little impact on the other person. Think about that. Forgiveness is all about me. When I choose not to forgive that person, it doesn't hurt them. It just hurts me. It causes me to, to be you know, hurt over and over and over again by that person's act. It doesn't affect them at all, though. 
Um, it hurts me. It's, it's, you know, I've heard uh, unforgiveness likened to, uh, you know, sort of like a parable of me drinking poison expecting them to die as a result. That's what unforgiveness is. Forgiveness, on the other hand, releases healing into my life. Neither forgiveness nor unforgiveness affects that person, but it hugely affects my life. And God wants you to be healthy and whole and complete. God wants you to be a mature person of character. Forgiveness enables that to happen. And so we must forgive. In fact, we all know the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? You know, our Father who art in heaven. We always quote it from the King James, by the way. We never go on to the two verses following that prayer. And this is what Jesus said after he said, amen. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, that if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive others their sins, our Father will not forgive your sins. You see, Jesus takes it personally when we choose not to forgive other people. Why? Because it hurts us. It hurts us. It doesn't hurt that other person. That's why Jesus takes it personally. He wants you to be whole and healthy, mature and complete. So forgive even as God has forgiven you. And I mean, think about it. What right do we have to hold unforgiveness toward other people when he has forgiven us from so much? We, we have to forgive as Jesus has chosen to forgive us. And so um, forgiveness is step one. It's required. It is demanded by God. Because if you don't forgive that person, God's not going to forgive you for all the sins you've sinned against him. And they are many. Each and every one of us have. And so, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on that issue, but we've got to understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is what you did was wrong, but I'm not going to act in vengeance and retaliate against you for it. I'm going to, I'm going to hand this over to God so that he can heal me and so that I can move on from this in life and not get stuck here. That's what forgiveness is. And so we have to forgive first and foremost. Now, the next step is an ideal one that not all of us are able to do this. And in some situations, you know, just some of us aren't. That next step is to simply overlook the offense and to move on with your life. Just to overlook it. I forgive them and I'm just going to move on from it. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11 says this. This is in the New Living Translation. Sensible people can control their temper and they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. And in the New International Version and King James Version, it says it this way. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. If you're able to do it, then kudos to you. Glory be to God. You're able to overlook that sin and move forward unhindered. You know, if you're able to just shrug it off, overlook it, and move on, then, then do it. You know, and, and from what I've experienced personally is I've allowed the Holy Spirit to grow and to mature me. Um, I'm able to do this more and more often. I'm able to uh, move on in life and not allow little petty things to bother me the way they used to. You know, I used to lay awake at night from little things that people would say or do that, that offended me or hurt me. You know, I, I didn't used to be able to just shrug things off and let it go. But praise be to God, he's maturing my character enough that I can let some things go that I couldn't before. And, and I pray that he'll do the same, you know, for you. However, even the most mature Christian can sometimes just not overlook something. You just can't let it go. It's either serious enough or it's just nagging you. 
And I want to submit to you that it actually may be the Holy Spirit nagging at you, keeping that thing fresh in your mind, because God wants you to deal with it differently. It's not God's will for you to just overlook it this time. He wants you to do something different. We'll talk about that in the next step. Um, now, here's the test that I use in my own life, and I'll submit it to you, and you know, maybe you can use this test too. Um, it's based off that psalm that David cried out, you know, Lord, test my heart and let me know, show me if there's any uh, you know, offensive thing in me. And basically what it is, is when someone sins against me, the way that I know whether I can just overlook it or need to go to the next step is the next time I see that person, do I feel an awkwardness between us? Do I feel a distance between us? When I see that person, do I feel those emotions rising back up again? If I don't, then I'm just going to overlook it and move on. What's done is done. They're forgiven. And our relationship is unhindered by it. Uh, I can do that. I can allow our relationship to be unhindered and just to move on from it. But if it's awkward between us and, man, I just start burning up inside and or I feel hurt inside again, then I know I've got to move on to the next step. And I submit that to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and, and to show you if you're able to overlook it or not. If you're able to overlook it, that's incredible. Pretty much message over, you can move on. Um, you know, but if you can't overlook it, then we're going to move on to the next step. And uh, sometimes, sometimes God actually wants you to deal with it according to this next step. Um, God has a purpose in conflict, we learned last week, and he may have a purpose in not letting this conflict go. Um, this may continue to be the case here. Um, most of us are uncomfortable confronting somebody when they've wronged us. It's not something that we naturally like to do. Um, you know, some of our personality types do not like to deal with conflict. Some of our personality types like to stir up conflict. <laughs> so depending on where you fall in that spectrum, it may be uncomfortable for you. But if God's calling you to do it, then we've got to do it. And it's going to be good. And it's going to be beneficial for us and for others. Um, it's a healthy thing to do for ourselves and for others to, to confront conflict from time to time. Um, especially when someone sins against us. Not all of us like to go to that person to talk about it. You know, some people, they're just evil, wicked people. They're bullies. Even Christians can be bullies sometimes, and they're going to put it all back on you. They're going to be like, that's your problem, not mine, right? You know, so it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk to people about it. Um, but um, love confronts sin. God loves you enough to forgive you of your sin, but then not to allow you to continue in it. He loves you enough to confront sin in your life. The Holy Spirit convicts us of, of um, righteousness and of our sin, both. Love confronts sin, but it confronts sin with the purpose of building people up. It, it confronts sin with the purpose of exposing it so that we can deal with it and, and mature and grow beyond it. Um, it doesn't confront sin to belittle somebody or to multiply sin or to further offend um, others, you know, and we're still learning and growing. We're going to sin against people and we may do it without even realizing it. And, and when you're in that position that you've sinned against somebody and you didn't know it, don't you want them to tell you so you can be aware of it? Don't you want to understand why things are weird between us right now? Because what did I do? What, what's going on here, right? Isn't it awkward when that happens? There's a distance between you and you don't know why. Don't you wish somebody would just sit down with you and talk to you about it? Do that to other people as well. They deserve that much. And God calls us to do that much. Um, 
unless other people bring it to our attention, we're going to likely repeat that sin over and over again because we don't know we're doing it. We just, we're just ignorant about it. We don't know. You know, it, it stops that cycle for our own good. And that may be why God is not allowing you to just overlook it and move on. That may be why God wants you to confront that person's sin against you. Now, to ensure that the goal is for the overall good and benefit of everybody when we do this confrontation, Jesus gave us a way to do it. And he gave it to us here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. Y'all are very well familiar with it. Anybody who's went through the new members class at New Hope, anybody who's ever dealt with conflict at New Hope, you know, I've kind of walked you through this and I've talked to you about this. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. A few simple verses that teach us how to confront somebody when they've sinned against us. Very first thing Jesus says, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. And so stop and realize that. Aside from Jesus and maybe your spouse, because your God has brought you together as one, you shouldn't talk to anyone else other than that person about when they sin against you. You shouldn't go talk to anyone else about it. Talk to Jesus about it and then talk to that person about it. Just between the two of you. That's literally what that means. Just between the two of you, not including all kinds of other people. Most of the time, this is where conflict is resolved. This is where relationships are reconciled and restored. Is when we just care about somebody enough to give them a call on the phone or to sit down to a cup of coffee with them and be like, hey, you know, the, the other day when you did this, you know, um, man, I, I'm really offended by that. Like, I really, I feel like, you know, you kind of sinned against me in that. It's really hard to do that, but we have to. Jesus calls us to. We have to do it. Um, most of the time, that's where it's reconciled. Then you can move on, right? You know, the person's like, oh, I had no idea. I'm so sorry, man. I, I didn't, I didn't mean to do that to you. I didn't realize that that's the effect that it had on you, you know, and uh, thank you for bringing it to my attention. And, you know, I, I try not to do that again, you know, and you, you hug each other and you move on, right? 90 some percent of the time, that's how that ends. And you go forward from that meeting. You go into that meeting, sick in the stomach, not wanting, you know, to deal with it, not knowing how you're going to even bring it up. But you leave that meeting with a, a 10 ton weight lifted from your shoulders. You feel free and there's nothing hindering your relationship with that person. That's usually how that ends. However, people are people and sometimes it doesn't end that way. Sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, people are a bit bullyish and they're like, you know what? That's your problem. You know, that's just who I am and you just got to deal with it. You know, you, you, that's your problem, not mine. So it says in verse 16, Jesus goes on, he says, but if they won't listen, Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of course, he's quoting the Old Testament there. Yeah, so sometimes for two people to reach a mutual understanding of each other and for that other person to realize that what they did was wrong against you, it, it, it takes an outside perspective. It takes somebody looking at this not from a subjective emotional standpoint, but from an objective standpoint. Um, and so the way that Jesus calls us to do that is to take one or two others along with you and to sit down with that person again and to talk about it again. Um, now, this step shouldn't be the step where we build up an army against that person. We don't want to build up a militia to make it a firing squad whenever we see them in person. No, what this was intended to be by Jesus was that we take one or two people who love the both of us, who care about the both of us, 
and who care about the, our relationship more than they do either of us. Somebody who can remain neutral. They're not going to take my side or the other person's side. They're a neutral party that can look at this from an objective perspective. Um, that's the kind of people that you want to look for to take along with you and try to, to deal with it there again. Um, you know, and hopefully the person will be like, okay, I understand. I see what you're talking about now. You know, maybe they've had some time to cool off and some time to think about it, you know, outside of that confrontation and, uh, they've just come around to their senses and now they see things from your point of view. And maybe the other people that one or two, uh, you know, people were able to help them to see things, you know, from your perspective. And again, you've won your brother or sister over, you can move on unhindered. You feel that weight lifted and there's nothing between your relationship. However, people can be cruel, even brothers and sisters in Christ. If they were intentionally trying to hurt us maliciously, um, or if they just refuse to admit any wrongdoing, if they just refuse to admit that they did anything wrong, then we move on to the next step. Jesus said in verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. Now God designed structure in the church to handle situations just like this. God knew it was going to happen in his body and he knew that he would need leaders in the church to handle situations like this so that we can keep harmony and unity inside of the body so that we can represent Jesus to the world around us. And his body's not divided. His body is unified. It works together. Um, even from different perspectives, it still works together. Um, he gave us the five-fold ministry. He gave us elders and deacons to handle situations like this that are challenging for us. Um, so if the conflict that you're dealing with, here's the other thing. If the conflict you're dealing with is outside of the context of church, if it happened in your school, if it happened in your workplace or somewhere else, you know, if it happened, uh, you know, down at the sportsman's club or whatever, um, you know, there, there's almost always... In fact, I would just say there is always somebody in a leadership or authoritative position to help you deal with this conflict. You can go to your human resources department at work. Somebody, a neutral third party outside of the two of you and your friends. Um, you can go to the, you know, if it's a social organization, you can go to that organization's, um, you know, leadership board and talk to them about that conflict. Um, you know, in school, you can go to the guidance council or a principal, you know, one of the staff members there. Um, a teacher, perhaps, just somebody that, that can help you uh, deal with that conflict. Um, when it comes to civil you know, issues where you just can't see it eye to eye, somebody wronged you and they just don't see it that way and they won't confess it, you know, that's why we have judges. Even in the, the Word of God in the Old Testament, there were judges. Moses himself was a judge to deal with conflicts that happen between people so they can make a decision of how to, um, how to move forward from that conflict. There's always somebody you can go to to help you deal with it when it reaches this level. You go to the two of you, you bring a couple other people along. If it's still not addressed, then go to that position of leadership or authority in the both of your lives. Allow them to manage it. Um, and in the church, it's the church leadership. You go to them and let them step in. Um, and of course, people are, well, they're still people. Sometimes even after all that has taken place, they just don't see it. They don't agree with it. And usually at that point, it stirred them up even worse. And now they just, they're just set to destroy you. You know, I mean, they really have a personal vengeance against you. Um, and so Jesus said what to do in those cases. It says, and if they still refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that verse and when I first learned about this, when I heard that, I'm like, 
right on, you know? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm gonna put my, because uh, I'm right-handed, I'm gonna put my right foot back, I'm gonna swing with the hip, you know? I mean, it's it's on, we're gonna deal with this thing, you know, the way that, the way I wanna deal with it, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, I, it's, I joke around to the kids, you know, every now and then, you know, whenever they talk to us about conflict, I'm like, just punch them in the face. Just do it. <laughs> you know? Of course, they, they know I'm joking in some cases, um, but, uh, uh, you know, that's not what Jesus is saying here, because think about how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors. I mean, really stop and look at the word of God. How did he treat pagans and tax collectors? Man, he had compassion toward them. He reached out to them. He served them. He sat down and ate dinner with them. He tried to build a relationship with them. Uh, I mean, he literally came to seek and to save them. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's not a, uh, a, a right to go and to mistreat those people and to act in your flesh. That's not what it is at all. Um, you know, he, Jesus actually reached out to them and gave them opportunities to change. Um, you take a look at the tax collector like Zacchaeus, right? And whew, it is life that was transformed just from eating dinner with, uh, with Jesus, you know? He gave them opportunities to change. He didn't mistreat them the way that the religious people of the day did. They acted in their flesh. They treated them like the scum of the earth. They didn't want anything to do with them. They wouldn't even talk to them. That's not how Jesus treated them, however. He loved them. So when others wrong us, kind of recapping here, first you forgive them. Then if you're able to overlook it, do that. Otherwise, it's necessary to confront that sin. You got to sit down and confront it. And then finally, the last step. Now this step applies whether you're able to overlook it or whether you do confront it. The last step is to set boundaries, to set healthy boundaries. You do this either way. You always have to forgive and you always have to consider your boundaries with that person. Because we can't control other people but we can control and we can kind of mitigate um, the access that they have into our lives. We can kind of mitigate the, uh, the degree that they can sin against us. We have control over our own lives and what areas they have access to. Um, you know, I, I know I've taught this before, but I'm going to teach it again, that our lives are a little bit like homes. You can kind of think of your life, your personal life, like a house. Um, you know, some areas of our homes are accessible by anybody, like our front porch. I don't know who that UPS guy is, but he's welcome to visit my porch and drop off my Amazon packages, you know? Um, you know, some areas are just publicly accessible to absolutely anybody and everybody, even if we don't know that person. Um, some areas are accessible by friends and families, people we know, people like, that we like to sit down and eat with or laugh with or play cards with, you know? Um, those are areas like our living room and kitchen. We hang out with people there. Um, some areas are limited to, um, you know, restricted maybe just to us and uh, like our spouse, someone that we intimately know personally, uh, like our bedroom, you know? Um, that's an area that's limited just to us and them. You know, maybe even your kids don't have access to that room, you know? Um, and some areas of our homes are limited just to us, like your shower stall. You don't want a big old party in there, right? So you just want it to be you. That's your personal private time, um, you know? And so there's different area, there's different degrees of access that people have into your home, uh, different areas that people are allowed into depending on the relationship that they have with you. Uh, just because somebody isn't welcome to shower with you doesn't mean you hate them. It doesn't mean that you don't like them at all. You know, it's just not appropriate for them to have that access um, that into your life, that intimate access uh, there. You know, you just don't have that close of a relationship with them. I mean, you got to be really close with the person before you shower with them, right? Some people don't even shower with their spouses for that matter. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny, but man, some people, they... 
they carry around such hurt and they get so hurt over and over again by different people because they don't understand this. They think that their lives ought to be open for everybody to access. They don't have healthy boundaries and therefore people have full access just to hurt them over and over and over again. That's not how God designed us. It's not how he created his world. Take a look at this world that he created. There are very healthy boundaries and we appreciate them. Um, you know, for example, we've got the atmosphere above us. So I'm not floating, you know, in midair right now, uh, gasping for oxygen. Um, you know, it's a good boundary. Um, the oceans have boundaries and they don't cross them. Man, think about what happens when the oceans do cross those boundaries. Destruction takes place, right? God has healthy boundaries and he, he wants you to have healthy boundaries as well. Setting a healthy boundary is not sinning against that other person. They may accuse you of it, but it's not sin. It is by God's own design that for you to have healthy relationships with others, that you have healthy boundaries with them. Um, people change, circumstances change, and relationships change over time. The only constant in this life is Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your boundaries need to change with people on a regular basis. Um, when someone wrongs us, that's a good time to consider um, what degree of access they have into your life. Maybe they were able to sin against you just because you let them into an area that they shouldn't have had access to yet. You know, you just don't have that degree of trust with them yet. They haven't earned that right to have that part, have access to that part of your life. And that could be why they were able to sin against you. You may need to push that boundary back. Um, you know, you, you may kind of kick them out of your bedroom and they're limited only to the, uh, you know, the living room and kitchen. Um, you may need to push it back even further out to the porch or sometimes this is not a sin. Sometimes you got to kick that person to the curb. You've got to push that relationship boundary the whole way out to the street until they, you know, um, are able to, to earn your trust back until they are able to prove that they have repented when they've sinned against you and changed, that they've changed their, their attitude, perspective, they've changed their behaviors. Um, dealing with addiction, this can be the hardest thing inside of a household. It can be the hardest thing for you for the health of your relationship and for the health of the other members of your family to push a member of the family who's dealing with addiction, their boundary to hoy out to the curb until they get some help and change a little. But sometimes it's the healthiest thing for the both of you. Sometimes it's for their own good that you set that boundary, that you don't enable them to continue in that anymore. Think about the parable of the uh, prodigal son. What if the father had pampered that child and just, just gave him little bits of his inheritance to just let him live wildly year after year after year after year? That child would have never repented. Yes, that child would have never been eaten out of the pigsty, right? And been jealous for the food they're eating, but he would have never repented and changed his life. Consider that. Boundaries are healthy. When that father gave that inheritance to his son, his son moved out, right? He went, to the, he went to the curb and went running. Think about that. You may need to set healthy boundaries after someone sins against you. It's hard to do, especially when it comes to members of your own household, but sometimes you have to do it for everyone's good, for everyone's benefit. Sometimes you have to do that so that God can start moving in a situation where he's not able to otherwise when you keep enabling sin to happen. God can't bless a home when we continue to allow sin to run rampant in it. He just can't. 
Um, think about it like a wound. He can't heal you as long as you keep using a knife to cut yourself open. He just can't bring healing to that situation. You gotta let go and you gotta allow God to start moving in that situation. Um, uh, you know, this is a part of what we learned about last week. Um, we learned that no one should allow a root of bitterness to grow up in their lives. Boundaries stop roots. They do. Boundaries stop that root of bitterness from growing up in our hearts. Boundaries guard hearts. Boundaries are what do that. Good fences make good neighbors. And good boundaries make good relationships. It's just a reality. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we read this last week, says that all, above all else, to guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You know in your heart that you need to push that boundary back. You know when people are pushing your boundaries, when they're, when they're climbing that fence and they're you know in an area of your life that they shouldn't be in. You feel it. You feel the tension. You feel the awkwardness. You need to communicate it to that person. You know, hey man, I, I really care about you and everything, but you know, right now is it all right if we just hang out, you know, out in the living room instead, you know? Kindly escort them out of your bedroom and out into the living room where they belong, where you're comfortable. You know, where you feel that there's a healthy relationship in existence. Um, because that, that boundary needs to be done in an appropriate manner. We don't want to overreact. We don't want to kick someone to the curb when we just need to, you know, close the fridge door and ask them to ask before they take something from it again, right? Sometimes we can overreact. We don't want to do that. It needs to be an appropriate response and it needs to be communicated People need to know when a boundary changes in your relationship. You know, we can't um, leave somebody come in and raid our fridge over and over and over again while they're kicking back in our uh, favorite lazy boy and watching TV and then just get angry inside and, and get irritated by it because that's a root of bitterness growing. You got to communicate it. When they're crossing that boundary, you got to let them know. They don't know they're doing anything wrong. They think you're okay with it because you haven't said anything otherwise. They're not doing it to sin against you. They just don't know that you're interpreting it that way. You have to communicate boundaries. They have to know what is appropriate and inappropriate in your relationship. you got to learn to say no. You gotta learn to put up a sign on that boundary, right? You don't put a uh, you know a, a, a nasty guard dog out in your yard without putting up a sign that says "Beware of the dog." It's just not right to that person. It's not fair to that person, right? You gotta communicate where that boundary's at um, for the both of our goods, so they know where their boundary is and you know where their boundary is, so you can communicate it. You're on the same page. You can have a healthy relationship. Um, Okay, now all this is good and, and it's all very, you know, theoretic. How do we apply it? Um, let's say in your household, a common situation, you've got an older teenager. They're able to drive, they're involved in sports or other, you know, extracurricular activities. They've, they've got a busy life. Maybe they even got a part-time job, you know, they're working down at Subway. Um, and so they... They need access to money. Um, they need to eat dinner. Uh, they need to put gas in the car, you know, and, um, and so you, you need to give them access to money. So you, you know, go to the bank and you give them a, uh, you know, a, a Visa debit card, um, you know, and you tell them, hey, you know, I'm giving you this card. Uh, this is going to let you, you know, use it at the pump to get gas. You can drive through McDonald's, grab yourself a meal, you know. Uh, you're giving them access to your finances, um, you know, because they need it. They just need it. It's just, you know, they, they're growing up, they're maturing, and it's just it's something new that they need to have access to in your life. Um, however, you notice 
in your uh, checking account when you go online to check it that you start noticing some bigger like Amazon purchases. You know, all of a sudden they got a new stereo system in their car. You know, you, you know that they're coming up the road because you hear it booming, right? You hear that bass kicking. Um, if they're using their card for that purpose, they're stealing from you and that is serious um, and it needs to be dealt with. So let's apply what we've learned so far. First of all, we forgive them. You know, that, that's first and foremost. You forgive them for your own self so that when you hear that bass kicking and they walk in the front door, you don't tear their face off, right? <laughs> it helps you to respond and not to react, to respond in a rational way so that you're not reacting emotionally, right? So you're not acting in the flesh and, and responding to sin with sin, not responding to their wrongdoing with more wrongdoing. You forgive them. Now, the first time you might be able to overlook it, you know? Um, you know, maybe it was just something minor. They wanted a new CD, it was five bucks or whatever. I mean, you know, no big deal. But if it happens again, you've got to sit down with them. You've got to confront them one-on-one. -on -one. You need to talk to them about it, remind them, hey, you know, remember that card I gave you? And you remember what we talked about, you know? Um, you know, that card, the whole reason that you have it, the purpose for it is so that you're able to pick up meals, you're able to keep gas in the tank, you know, just so that you can, um, you know, can continue to go about those activities that you like. Um, that's why you have the card. Um, explain to them that, you know, when you use it for something else, you're stealing money from our account. You know, you, you know, your mother and I work hard for that money. You know what it's like, you know, when you're working at your job, um, you know, and so we were, you know, make sure you're not using it inappropriately because that's stealing from us. Sit down and explain to them what's going on. You know, maybe they just didn't see it that way. They didn't understand. Um, and they needed reminded of why they have, you know, access to that, those funds. Now, if you have that confrontation and it continues and it continues and it becomes a habit, um, then those boundaries probably need adjusted for the benefit of both of you. Um, an appropriate boundary. Maybe, you know, we have technology limit the balance on that card, limit the amount of money that they have access to. Maybe you give them a card that's a uh, prepaid debit card. You put money in that account and that's all they have. They don't have access to the rest of your checking account, right? You know, um, maybe it's to go back to just giving them cash, right? Something like that. Um, maybe it's cutting back those extracurricular activities. You know, you communicate, look, if this happens again, uh, you're gonna have to uh, drop out of, you know, this or that. You're gonna have to just drop out. Um, you pull back in the boundaries to keep a healthy relationship with the both of you um, so that everybody benefits from it. They understand what they're doing is wrong and there's some kind of consequence for it. That's why you spank toddlers, right? You know, there's a consequence for that bad behavior, bad decision. It, it teaches us uh, so we can grow and mature. Um, but we also, we allow room for them to prove that they've changed, to prove that they understand now, and they may get that access back. They may be able to participate in that extracurricular activity again. Uh, they may be able to have that card again. They may be able to have full access to your account again after they've had time and an opportunity to prove themselves. In the kingdom of God, we always have to leave room for reconciliation. There always has to be a path to redemption. You know, there always has to be clear terms to which our relationship can be made right, that that boundary can be set back to where it was. There has to always be that path. So maintaining healthy relationships, it requires us to maintain healthy boundaries with them. It's not good for us to be a hermit that when somebody comes to visit us, we're like, eh, get off my lawn, you know, right? We don't want to be that grumpy old man that just doesn't like anybody and just keeps to himself. That is a way too strict boundary. 
that is an unhealthy boundary. And at the same time, you don't want to be that person that leaves their front door unlocked and people can just go anywhere in your house and help themselves to anything that they want, right? That access into our lives, that's, man, you're going to get hurt over and over and over again, you know? Don't let people have that kind of access into your uh, life. Limit it until they earn the right and they earn the trust to be in that place. Um, Jesus, think about that. Think about this. It was not sin. Jesus did not sin ever. Perfect, sinless human being. The only one that ever existed and never will. Yet he had enemies who hated him and he had no relationship with him. His boundary with them was the curb. He also taught crowds of thousands. Those were people that he let, you know, kind of into his front yard. You know, they hung out. They had block parties. He, he had cookouts and, you know, they were invited to come and hang out with him. Um, you know, he, he taught crowds and he had a loose relationship with them. He lived life together with his 12 disciples. They were allowed to come into the living room and kitchen. They hung out together at night. They laughed together. You know, they, they had good times together. They, they had a closer relationship than the crowds of people. Um, he would further explain his parables to them. He gave parables to the crowds. He gave the explanation to his 12 disciples, right? <clears throat> then there were three disciples in particular that he was very close and intimate with. He invited him that those three into situations that the other um, nine didn't have access to. Things like the, uh, the transfiguration, when Jesus was there with Elijah and Moses, when they saw him beaming as bright as light, glorified, you know, they got to be there when that happened. Those were the same three who were invited to be with him in the garden um, whenever he was praying. He invited them to pray and to war with him because, man, he was feeling vulnerable. He was being tempted to sin. He didn't want to take on the cross, but he knew he had to. Um, you know, he invited those three into that intimate part of his life. Um, and so it's healthy. It's not sinful to have different boundaries with different people. Jesus loved them all equally, but he had different boundaries with them all. It's the same in your life. Take example from Jesus. You've got to have healthy boundaries with different people in your life. Give them different access to different things. It's not sin. It's healthy. When someone wrongs us, when they refuse to admit that they were wrong or apologize for it, Move that, dis that boundary. Keep your distance from them, you know? Have acquaintances that you say hi with in the store and you don't really know them much otherwise. Have a small group of friends that, that you laugh with, that you play cards with, that you, you know, that, that you just enjoy living life together with. But make sure you have those handful of friends, those one, two, or three, you know, friends that are so close to you that they know the depths of your heart. They know those intimate parts of your life, um, you know, that you have. They, they, um, they battle with you. They pray with you. They war with you. They have permission to rebuke you and to correct you when, when you're wrong in some area. They have access to celebrate victories with you, you know? Um, you know, they share all of life's intimate ups and downs with you. You've got to have that group of people that have access to that area of your life. And so, in closing here, if we apply these principles, and these are just, man, I could go into probably a whole sermon series for years on each one of these principles. These, this is just a surfacey teaching on them. But if you learn to apply these principles in your life, you're going to have healthier relationships. You're going to be at peace with everybody. You're going to be able to have your home blessed by God. In fact, your home will be such a place of peace 
it will be so blessed by God that people will want to be there. They'll want to hang out there. They'll want to be a part of your life. They will ask you the reason for the hope that you have within you, right? It won't be a place of strife. Um, it'll be a place of peace. And so let's learn to apply these principles. Um, you know, we, when someone sins against us, black and white biblically sins, every other thing we handle the way that we handle it last week, if they sin against you, forgive them. If you can overlook it, do it. If not, confront them about it. And then adjust that boundary if necessary. Take a look at the boundary that they have in your life and adjust it if you need to. And uh, man, we will be so mutually blessed by one another. So blessed by one another. Our homes will be a place of refuge and rest instead of conflict and strife. And God will truly be able to bless this home. And so again, in closing, let's just pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for your real life example. We thank you, Jesus, for living in this flesh, dealing with everything that we deal with, dealing with times when personalities conflict with you and dealing with times when people sin against you. Thank, thank you for setting the example for us so that we know how to respond when someone wrongs us, when someone sins against us. Help us to forgive as you have forgiven. Help us to overlook offenses that are petty and trivial that we're able to. Give us the courage and the boldness for everyone's good to confront sin when it becomes necessary. Help us to love people that much to confront times when they are wrong. And teach us, Lord, how to set healthy boundaries in our relationships. Because, Jesus, we want you to bless our lives. We want you to bless our homes. We want you to bless our relationships with everyone. Jesus, we want to be your hands and feet and voice into the lives of those around us so that many can be brought into a personal encounter with you and give their lives to you, Jesus. We want many to be saved and spirit-filled and transformed by your great unfailing love. We love you, Jesus. Forgive us for the times when we've messed this up and help us to do better and to do right to the next time around. Help us not to respond to wrongdoing with more wrongdoing, but to take the right path as you have taught us to do today in your name, amen. Amen. And as always, if there's anything we can do to uh, come alongside and to help you in that manner, if uh, you need um, advice on how to uh, handle the situation that you're dealing with, um, you know, reach out to us. We, we love you. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. Uh, we want you to reach your full potential in Christ. And we want you to have healthy relationships with others so that you can do the same for them. Um, thank you so much. God bless. And we will catch you next week.